You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Matt Perino is here. From uh, Raymond, uh, what, what's the stadium's name again, Ryan? It's, Raymond James. Yeah, Raymond James Stadium. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's been a long day. And listen, I thought we were going to talk about a much different type of game than we actually ended up getting towards the end. A, a f- ferocious fourth quarter comeback bid by the Bills. Fall short, although they do uh, force overtime after being down as much as 17 in the second half. Um, I'm Matt Perino. He is Ryan Talbot. He is my co-host. And this is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Ryan Talbot, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Matt. You know, you mentioned it. Um, I think a lot of people scrambling late in the game to change headlines, change articles around because of the way that this team fought back after being down 24 to three at halftime. All right, let's get into this game here. Where to start? I think we got to start with Josh Allen because this was a game that if you go back to the narrative going into today, we all basically agreed that this was going to be a game that Tom Brady, you're going to have to go blow for blow for, with him in this offense without Tredavious White, with some of the, the, the struggles that this Bills team has had, you know, stopping the run and against, uh, you know, a, a well-balanced offense like this, it was going to come down to the offense in that first half. Nothing was going right, Ryan Talbot. They had one field goal in the first 30 minutes of play. It was possession after possession, punt, punt, field goal, punt, interception, punt, to the point where you get to halftime and you're like, what is going to happen here? I saw a tweet um, from Will Brinson from CBS Sports. I retweeted it. Tracy Wolfson was talking to Sean McDermott at halftime. And you know her words were he couldn't really find the words to talk about what was happening in the first half. He was very emotional. And then to see the way the second half happened, you know, behind an effort from Josh Allen that I know it's a loss, Ryan, but this is kind of what I've been waiting to see from him against a really good defense. He had to find answers after, you know, struggling with what they were doing. He kind of talked about it a little bit, like they had prepared for one thing. They saw something different. 
Brian Dable made halftime adjustments. He started getting the ball out of his hands. Gabriel Davis kind of came into a, a larger role with Emmanuel Sanders out. Everybody was getting involved in this offense. Josh Allen was utilized as a runner. And honestly, they were a little bit more aggressive late in the game or if the referees call, uh, you know, uh, a pass interference call would look like a pass interference. Maybe we're sitting here talking about a different result, but I thought Josh Allen was superb in this game. Yeah. Josh Allen was outstanding over 400 yards of total offense passing and using his legs. And and we'll get more into the walking boot here in a minute, but you might as well have given that guy a back brace too, because of the way he carried this team tonight, Matt, he was everywhere that he, the, the bills needed him to be in terms of running the ball. Um, really tough runs, really tough shots that he took from those defenders, whether it was him running the ball or the pressure that he faced in the first half. Listen, I had the offensive line with an F grade at halftime. I, you know, I worked through my report card article at, at live as the game's going, and that offensive line was atrocious in the first half. Spencer Brown was overwhelmed early and often, especially he was the kind of the weak link in that first half. And then they made some adjustments too, but it was mostly Josh Allen knowing to get the ball out quickly, knowing who to hit. Uh, there was one play in that final drive in regulation where they made it look like Dawson Knox was a blocker and he was able to get it to Knox really quickly. It was just a, a savvy play, a heads up play by Allen and Knox and, and little things that you want to see from your franchise quarterback going against the best of the best. These are the defending Super Bowl champions is a team that entered this game at nine and three. Uh, so clearly not a fluke last year that they won it all. So this was a, a proving game for the Bills. And yes, they lost. And there's, you know, moral victories don't count for anything in the standings. I saw someone in the comments say, do you think the Bills are going to win the AFC still? I, I think it's become very, very slim odds based on New England's remaining schedule and Buffalo's. But I think they really show that they can hang with anyone today. And when you look at these last four games that they have coming up on the horizon, Carolina, New England, uh, Atlanta and the Jets, there's no reason to think that they can't go four and zero in those games. At worst, three and one. I think ten wins probably gets you a wild card spot. But the Bills need to take care of business now. No more moral victories. But today, he really made a statement in terms of showing what what he can do against the best of the best. You know what I take from this game is this could be a turning point. And Josh Allen actually mentioned this in his post game press conference. What he saw in the locker room, you know, it's one thing to kind of do it over and over again without any help. I mean, the offensive line play in that first half, like you mentioned, was atrocious. I mean, Josh Allen was banged up in this game, even if it wasn't, even if he didn't suffer an injury on that one play. You know, I I would imagine that he would have gotten to today and he would have been hurting. One and a half sacks for Shaq Barrett. Five quarterback hits, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven quarterback hits in total. He was just a guy, and those are just, you know, hits in the backfield. We're not talking about tackles. He ran it. Josh Allen ran it 12 times for 109 yards and one touchdown. This is actually the first time the Bills have lost since 2019 when Josh Allen scores a rushing touchdown in the game. They were 10 and 0 the last two seasons before this game, but you saw the difference when he's able to kind of get out there and be physical and, and play that brand of ball, which kind of puts the defense on tilt. You saw as the game ran, like went along him as a runner put um, stress on the defense. And I think that's something that, you know, they got to go back and they kind of, you know, John McDermott talked about it. You got to weigh that out. It could be something that's really good for you, but it's also a dangerous game to play, striking that balance. He got injured today, came to the post-game press conference, was in a walking boot. It's uh, officially a, a foot injury. This becomes very interesting, Ryan, because as we're talking about like playoff seating positioning, every game from here on out is 
kind of must-win territory. There's five, seven, and six teams in the AFC now vying for two wild card spots. The third is right now uh, taken by the Los Angeles Chargers, who are um, eight and five. So you think you look at some of these teams in the AFC standings, the Ravens at eight and five, the Chargers at eight and five. And then after that, you got the Bills at seven and six, Broncos seven at six, Browns, Bengals, uh, and, and Indianapolis Colts, who had the tiebreaker over the Bills. You know, you're in a situation now where you can't afford to lose any more games. And if we're looking to next week and we're looking at a Carolina Panthers team where the Bills open as an 11 point favorite, should be a game that they can win. We could be looking, depending on how this injury uh, plays out this week, we could be working at maybe some Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, and that's the big question now as as we turn the page to that Panthers game is will Josh Allen be able to play? And I know post-game presser, he said there's no way he was leaving. He's not too worried about it, but the Bills have to think not just short-term, but they have to think if we can get into the playoffs, we need Josh Allen healthy if we want to make any kind of noise whatsoever. This is why they went out and they signed Mitch Trubisky. They they felt he was the best backup available on, on the market. They felt like he could come in and win a few games. Uh, this is against Carolina Panthers team that uh, they benched Cam Newton again today. They have PJ Walker on that team. They, they don't really have a lot on that offense. So you would like to think that if that is the worst case scenario and the, and the Bills can't play Josh Allen, that they can get by in a week with Mitchell Trubisky. Give Josh Allen time to heal up before that big matchup against the Patriots, possibly. But, you know, knowing Allen, if he thinks he can go whatsoever, the Bills will try to, to, uh, run an offense around him where maybe they really limit any ability for him to run with the ball to try to protect him as much as they can. But at the same time, that offensive line is going to have to be a lot better to protect him if that is the case because they were giving up pressure left and right today and, and not giving him really any chances here in the first half of that game. There were a couple questionable calls in this game, and I guess that might be the the way to kind of go in, in into some conversation about where we could have been sitting. I mean, Ryan, I've been watching Bills football for 89, so what are we talking there? A uh, thir- little over 30 years where I can really remember it. And I can't remember – now, granted, there's been a lot of really bad Bills football, but I can't remember going from halftime – where the fan base seemed to be, the majority of the fan base seemed to be collectively on Sean McDermott to now that seeming like a lifetime ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I was reading fire Sean McDermott, fire Brandon Bean. I know it wasn't going good. It was a, it was a, it was trending towards a really embarrassing type of performance. And I know that's a, a buzzword and a trigger word for a lot of people right now. So maybe we don't want to get into the embarrassing part of it. But, you know, there were, you know, fourth and three. The Bills were down a couple of scores. You know, it looked like the defense was going to, you know, they were kind of turning the corner. They were trying to start to make some plays, but it's like you have a fourth and three. I know you're on uh, your side of the field, but that's a play where if you want to put pressure, they went on on fourth and two a couple series before that. Sean McDermott decides to send out his punter when it just kind of seemed like momentum was turning a little bit. They punt the ball down and it actually ends up working out in a lot of ways. If you think about it, you, you get down to the end of the game. The defense held the, the Buccaneers to three points, but at the time it felt like a message sent in a lot of ways that you, not so much that you didn't believe, but if I'm sitting there on the sideline and this is a group that seems really close knit. Listen, they've gone through a lot. I was really impressed today, you know, hearing from the players. You know, all that we talked about last week, all of this about 
how much divisiveness is there in the locker room? Is everybody aligned? Is everybody on the same page? I felt like today that they, they really went to the depths of, you know, a, a really bad situation, which was what was going on in that first half. And they came out of it pretty good. I just felt like in that moment, Sean McDermott could have sent a message to his team that we are going to attack. We are going to keep going because we have to put the pressure on this. And I asked him in the postgame press conference, did the fact that you'd be giving the ball back to Tom Brady factor into it? He he said yes, but it came down to belief in his defense, which I guess in a lot of ways, as much as I didn't like the call at the time, proved to be the correct call. You know, I think you still maybe say it was the wrong call just because uh, Brady and, and company were able you're to right, drive down right. the field. You're right. You're right. I, I want to correct myself. It didn't prove that it was the correct call. I think that it proved that his belief in his defense was the correct call because I think that's something that continues to consistently happen that, you know, they do tend to figure it out. They give up all of these big plays. They've, I think they've given up, uh, I think it was, uh, Elena that tweeted out four runs of 40 more, 40 or more yards this season. Three of them have been touchdowns, mm. but they find a way to, you know, even after they get punched in the mouth like that, they find a way to figure it out. So I guess from that perspective, his belief in his defense was, validated to a degree. I still don't no, think it was the right call. No, I, I agree, though, because they did hold them to three points in the second half to force the overtime. Uh, but those three points came after the, the punt where Brady was able to chew a lot of the clock, uh, time off the clock, and then kick that field goal where if the Bills go for it, and even if they fail, you're giving Brady and company a shorter field. Maybe less time comes off the clock. Of course, maybe they score a touchdown, too, and this never happens, and there is no overtime. You always wonder what if, but you're right. We were talking about this before the show started. Uh, McDermott was kind of on the hot seat among the fan base at one point in this game. And, and I don't want to say he's off the hook now, but all focus shifted to the fact that the Bills came back. There's some questionable uh, calls and no calls by the officiating crews. Uh, the, the Bills let up a big catch in overtime to to kind of seal the game for the Buccaneers. But McDermott was on the hot seat. L- listen, there was a they kicked a field goal early in the game. And I know people were saying, well, you, you can't kick field goals against the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. But I kind of get it at the same time. At that point, Josh Allen was getting pressured left and right. They didn't have any answers for it. Um, so they took the sure points at that point in time when it wasn't out of reach or anything like that at that time, or it wasn't anything, any kind of crazy score at that point. But then when you go for the fake punt, uh, I would rather you have your franchise quarterback on the field trying to convert those scenarios. I know that a lot of teams convert those types of plays. If Matt Brady doesn't get tripped up by a, a Buccaneers defender, he probably gets that. But that's the second time that Brady has had his number called in a big moment. Uh, I hated the first play in week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers where uh, he was stopped for loss. But this one, too, it just didn't go anywhere. It didn't work out. And, and then, obviously, when, when they uh, ended up punting in that fourth and short scenario, too, you have a $258 million quarterback. You have a quarterback that really was starting to figure things out in the second half, and, and you didn't let him try to move the chains in those scenarios. And who knows what would have happened had they have tried that, but uh, at the time, it was questionable because the Bills were down so much. Were they going to get the ball back? Were they going to be able to make it a game? Had they had the Buccaneers gone down and scored? The answer would have been no. It probably would have been out of reach. But his faith in the defense, like you said, held up to a certain extent. They played uh, the Buccaneers very well in that second half. But it's easy to, to question some of the decisions in-game coaching that Sean McDermott made today and that he's made this season. I want to get into two performances, one specifically, but yeah, I think we got to touch on the, the referees in this game because listen, I, I, 
I think you got to kind of just go into it knowing that, you know, referees are that kind of controllable that's never going to be in your favor. You know what I mean? Like over the course of time, no matter what side you're on, I mean, there was a couple calls last week in the Patriots game that I thought the Bills got away with. And sometimes these things equal out over over the course of time. If you make enough plays, if you play well enough, you know, you, you hope that that if you're a Bills fan, that that doesn't, you know, bleed into this thing or, or affect the game. Today, it affected the game. I mean, there was two calls specifically, the Levi Wallace one where he got flagged for for defensive pass interference. I thought it was perfect positioning. He got his head around. He made a play on the ball. It's the definition of what is supposed to be not called defensive pass interference. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, a game-changing play, Ryan. We can get into, you know, the the ideology behind whether or not Sean McDermott should have gone for the field goal or gone for the touchdown there. He's had some aggressive moments in the past on that fourth and two. I don't know. Call me crazy, but you know, with with going to overtime with Tom Brady to me just seems like a losing endeavor. Like I, to me, that was four down territory when you get inside the 10 yard line, but that's just me. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and fault him for trying to give his team a chance to win another game. But the referee not missing that call, now that we've seen now multiple angles, you actually had a picture in the story that you posted of Diggs getting pulled down. It was egregious pass interference. These are the things that the the league somehow has to figure out how to have like a sky judge. Like I, I know it's like been talked about for a decade. Have a sky judge that could come in and say that was definitively, no doubt about it, pass interference. We have to stop the game right now. We're making that call. It doesn't have to be challenged. It doesn't have to be stopping the play of game. It is just a message sent down to the referee, just like he's got a little earpiece in his ear anyway, and say that was a a, a pass interference. Change the call. It had something like that has to happen because there's just too many of these over the years that we can fix with just the smallest, you know, change and the most simplest technology. Yeah, they need something like that where they can at least come in and make those calls that, you know, we we know the officials from uh, New York can can change calls. They can do things like that, but they I don't think they they have the ability right now at this point in time to be like, this is a clear pass interference penalty. Drop a flag at this point in time. So that's something that can be done. Hire full time officials. That's something that the NFL can do. And I was reading the comments, Matt, while you started talking about there's someone that said, you know, don't blame the refs. The Bills could have made more plays. Yes, that that's very true. But there were two crucial penalties late in this game, one at the end of regulation, one in overtime, that did cost the Bills field position and a chance to win in regulation. So they need to be discussed. Um, someone saying that Diggs flopped. No, there, there was a clear view of Carlton Davis pulling on the front of Stefan Diggs's jersey, and there was a lot of contact leading up to that. It's a play that number, uh, you know, true number one wide receiver should get that call. But the officials, and there was two of them in the vicinity watching that play, neither of them pulled the flag on it. And, and, and that's kind of a shame because that gets called. The Bills are set up first and goal, um, you know, half, whatever whatever it is. And they're going to most likely punch that in and, and win in regulation or, or really force Brady's hand late in the game to do something really special. But instead, the Bills go to overtime. Uh, I didn't really mind the kick. We saw them come up short in, in a big scenario against the Titans where they couldn't rush for a yard to keep the game going. I get the the theory behind it. Josh Allen had really started to figure out that defense. So if you can get him the ball in overtime, which they did, maybe he can continue that. They ended up going three and out again, a little bit of a, a holding play there. But then w- when the Buccaneers get the ball, uh, Levi Wallace is actually in good coverage. And you see Mike Evans pull him in. To himself, and so that way he initiates the contact. He makes it look like Wallace bumped into him on an underthrown ball. 
one of those things that drives me crazy because a lot of quarterbacks are doing this now intentionally underthrowing a ball giving their receivers a chance to run back on it, knowing how hard it is for a cornerback to play a, a ball like that. And the officials bid on it. They threw some flags, and then uh, a few plays after that, it, it was all that all she wrote when he connected with Brashad Perriman. So the officials did end up playing a big outcome in, in how this game ended, and that's kind of a shame because it was a, a classic uh, game in the making. The Bills had made a really nice comeback after a hot start by the Buccaneers. And now this is one of the main things that people are talking about, not just Bills fans, but a lot of the media members. You saw uh, Adam Shine comment on it. You saw other national media members comment on how bad the officiating was. That's not a good look for this league. No. And, you know, it's it's just something that like there's a fix. So why not fix it? You know, have a, you know, have a way to, and I know like it's about like the, you know, in-game experience and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of things about the in-game experience, you know, that I think you can kind of take or leave. It, it is what it is. It feels like there's always these kinds of plays in these big time games, these close games. But, you know, what's funny is, as you were talking, Ryan, going back and looking at the stat sheet, right. And, and kind of just filing through everything. There's a couple of things I want to talk about still like 27 first downs for the bills, 26 for the bucks, 466 total yards for the bills, 488 total yards for the bucks. So really by the end of the game, the bills had outgained the Buccaneers in the game, which is, is crazy to me with the way that that first half played out. This was really in a lot of ways, this is something that, you know, You've been waiting to see if you're a Bills fan. They they found their offense. I'm wondering, sitting here, if you want Emmanuel Sanders to get healthy. But I'm wondering if it might not be a blessing in disguise to somehow have him not be available for a stretch. Maybe get himself fully 100% healthy. They're going to need him for the stretch run. And maybe you start to see what this offense looks like with Gabriel Davis as the true number two wide receiver. Because the offense looked different with him getting more of the opportunities and just being a, 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 a safety net for Josh in a lot of ways. I mean, that fourth down play, that was, you know, had they won that game, that would be one of the, you know, prime plays we go back to and circle and say that was a difference maker. Yeah. And before that, he had a touchdown reception, but you're right. Big fourth down play. He's short of the line of gain and he just out physicaled uh, the Buccaneers player to, to move the chains. And that was big for this team. And I'm currently uh, starting my encouraged worried article and I have the wide receiver core, the whole, the whole group in my encouraged section. I want to say that this is maybe the best we've seen the entire unit, including, uh, you know, including Dawson Knox and that as well, because I grouped the wide receiver and tight end together. Today, I, I, we saw Stefan Diggs, seven for, I want to say, 74 off the top of my head, uh, nine receptions for Cole Beasley. You saw Gabriel Davis step up. You saw Dawson Knox step up. Isaiah McKenzie was, was in, involved in a very small capacity, but he was even involved. They had their playmakers out there, and their playmakers made the most of their opportunities. That's what we've been waiting to see uh, between them and Josh Allen. And, and Matt, you were going down, and I don't want to veer too much off this topic, but you were going down from some key stats in the game and how close it, it was. One that stands out to me, and, and again, it go, a lot of it goes back to the first half, third down efficiency. The Bills are two for 13 yeah. in this game. That was the that, big one that's that tough. Out. Now, what's funny about that is they came into this game ranked second in the NFL in third down mm-hmm. conversion percentage at 48.37% behind only the Chiefs. 
Yeah, it, it was a really bad performance. And, and again, I think a lot of that was in the first half where the Bills had no answer for the pass rush that Tampa Bay had. But even in the second half when they were moving the ball uh with a, with a lot more success, those third down plays, they really did struggle at times to convert. So it only convert two out of 13 times. That also played a, a somewhat of a role in how this game ended. So, you know, th- there's positive and negatives in every game. Obviously, the third down efficiency will be in that negative column. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Okay, let's get into another good, good, and then I want to get into some bad. And I want to also get into some like team building theory and where the Bills sit with some still some really concerning things here on the horizon as they try to make get things right and make a playoff run. I want to get into some things today because there were some eye popping things that happened before the game. We'll get into that. From hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Make sure you get there this week. Get yourself set up for the game. So Dane Jackson, Ryan, Mm -hmm. this was a massive performance for a guy that if you go back to, you know, Thursday, Friday, there was angst amongst the fan base about what this was going to look like, you know, for Dane Jackson today. And I think what he did today was he came out here and reminded everybody about the big game capability that he flashed last season. He comes in here today, eight tackles. He finishes uh, fifth on the team in tackles behind Tremaine Edmonds, who had 12. Poyer had 10. Milano had nine. Oh, by the way, Milano was outstanding today, especially in the second half. Um, Eight tackles for Hyde. Jackson has seven tackles. Two pass defense, probably should have had one more. He was physical in the run game. He was like for a game that, listen, the Bills weren't great against the run once again. I mean, this continues to be an issue. 113 yards on 19 carries for Leonard Fournette. 5.9 yards per carry for him. And I know he had the big one, but that's considerably above his season average per carry. And he's having a career year already. So they let. Leonard Fournette run wild today, but I thought Dane Jackson made a lot of good plays in the run game. And it was just a, a, a game where not only is he going to have confidence, but I think Bill's fans can have confidence in him. This is one of the best receiving cores he's going to go against in the league. This could be something to build off for that secondary and Dane Jackson. Yeah. Listen, he was a gamer last year where he came in, he made plays. He was a gamer today against a really uh, tough Buccaneers offense. If I had one, if I was to be nitpicky, he should have had an interception in this game. Not yeah. only did it bounce off his hands, but it was one of those plays where the ball literally landed on him as he went to the ground on his stomach. And you'd think that he could have corralled that in. And again, that's just me picking out one small moment from a very solid performance. But if that happens, they don't kick that field goal in, in the second half. Uh, a lot of things can change there in, in, in the whole game and how it went. But he was really solid. It, it was the performance that we wanted to see because we, we've already touched upon this map, but he's not going to be tested like that next week against the Carolina Panthers in terms of going against a uh, first ballot hall of fame uh, quarterback, it, w- no matter who he sees there, whether it's Cam Newton, PJ walk or whatever the case may be. Those, those guys just are not solid quarterbacks. He's not going to be challenged like that against Mac Jones or uh, against Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is probably the, the best uh, pure passer that they have coming up. And then he's not going to be tested like that against the Jets either, who really struggled again today. So big opportunity to shine today. He did it, and I think he can build upon that performance going forward in the rest of this regular season. 
I was just reading this story too. Um, did you see this story today that the uh, the Broncos uh, paid tribute to Demarius Thomas? Um, they lined up uh, ten players. Obviously, yeah. one missing. That's that's really awesome. Um, yeah, such a I tragic, thought that was cool. Just a tragic story this week. Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders missed uh, missed time um, on Friday at practice. Uh, he played with Demarius Thomas, won a Super Bowl with him. Super just bum bummer of a week. I actually got a message from somebody in the UFC that grew up in his hometown. Um, and said that the town, his hometown is really hurting about the news and, you know, just send out the best of the family. It's just horrible, horrible development. 33 years old. Terrible. Mm. Um, let's talk about somebody that, you know, I think continues to not have solid games. And uh, I think I know where you're going. Listen, it's almost like an elephant in the room. It's a guy that's developed such a reputation for a guy that's always around the quarterback and a guy that has been a big part of what the Bills have done around here since they traded for him. I think it was in, was it 13, 14? He's been here a long time. He's going to be among the top five sack getters all time uh, for the team. But Jerry Hughes is, I tweeted it out, he's the 20th highest paid defensive end in the NFL. And he currently ranks 109th with one and a half sacks. And again, today, um, no sacks. Once again, I tweeted one where Tom Brady had a 12-yard run where Jerry Hughes inexplicably ran past him uh, on, a, on a nice outside rush move. But just again, applying pressure, getting, you know, uh, Tom Brady to get off his spot, but there, you know, it, it didn't matter because there was no one else in the area. And honestly, it happened so fast that that was always going to be the result. He blew by him. He was able to run by 12 for 12 yards. When that happens, when you have Tom Brady able to, you know, run for 12 yards, it, that's a problem. And you look at Jerry Hughes' stat line, one tackle, one assisted tackle, two combined tackles, no sacks, no quarterback hits, no tackles for a loss. No passes defense, no force fumbles, no fumble recoveries. I mean, this is getting to be a trend with him. And it, it kind of bridges into what else I wanted to talk about is we I kind of always knew this was going to be a problem, Ryan. I think one of the reasons that this this or this uh Patriots, this Buccaneers offense was able to be so successful is because they had no pass rush that they had to deal with early. It got to a point where it was so bad that Leslie Frazier had no choice but to start sending blitzers. And it worked. You got more aggressive. You got more comfortable in the back seven. I think Dane Jackson playing as well as he did kind of gave you the confidence to be able to do it. And Matt Milano was just shot out of a cannon. He had one of the biggest plays mm-hmm. in the game when he sacked Tom Brady to get the ball back uh, on, a th- on a three and out or on a third down uh, fouled, which by the way, the Patriots were really, or the, I keep saying the Patriots, uh, Buccaneers were really good on third down. They were um, eight to 16, eight for 16. 50%. Yeah. You know, just speaking on Hughes, and I thought you're going to go a different direction with a different player. Maybe I'll mention him next, but with, with Jerry Hughes, yeah, he, he's, you know, based on the money he's getting, based on the expectations for him, he's not living up to those expectations. Truly but among the veterans, Mario Addison's had the better year. He's been more solid in, in that regard, but this defensive line as a whole is a failure. And I mentioned in the report card grade, if you were to tell me that the, the defensive line would get one sack and it would be Eli Anka or Anku, uh, that would blow my mind. Every defensive lineman, it's the practice squad elevation that ends up getting the sack. And it was more so because Brady just had nowhere to go on the plane. He was trying to run and he got tackled the line uh, one yard behind the, the line of uh, scrimmage. So, very underwhelming performance again. I thought Ed Oliver had some moments in this game, but the young pass rushers didn't step up. The veteran pass rushers didn't step up. 
And it's the reason why the Bills are where they are now. Even on that game-winning touchdown pass by Tom Brady in overtime, he held that ball longer than he had for most of the game. And with the, the Bills sending an extra player, they could not get there. They could not bring him down. And that was, you know, at the end of the day, that's what that ended the game for the Bills, that there was no pass rush there. Brandon Bean tried. You know, he drafted Greg Rousseau. He he drafted Boogie Bash and continues to be inactive. He had AJ. But I don't know if that was good that. enough, Ryan. I don't know if no, that was I'm good not, enough. I'm not saying that- it was. The, the point is he, he tried things without having a, a proven entity that he knew could get after the quarterback on a regular basis. We've seen pressure from Jerry Hughes, but the sack rates have been, gone down significantly over you know the past five years. We've seen Mario Addison come off of a bad year here in Buffalo. We, we did not see anything from the interior of that line in terms of having uh, a consistent uh, pass rush disruptor. So he, he tried adding certain players, but this mix is not working out. They need to get some kind of proven entity somehow in the offseason and with the way that the cap space is going to work out, it's going to be a tough, you know, tough job to do. But they got to do something to upgrade this uh, pass rush because it's just not good enough now. And it really is hurting this team in these close games where now they're 0 and 5 in one in one possession games. You know, I've heard I, I, I can't remember who I was reading, but uh, somebody in Kansas City had mentioned a big piece of this is because of what it's allowed other players in the defensive line to do. But Melvin Ingram has been quite an addition for this Kansas City Chiefs defensive line. It's allowed Chris Jones to get, go back into the middle. But pairing him with him, I think it's given them another pass rusher. Now, they have Chris Jones, who is an all-pro. They have Frank Clark, who is a pro bowler. And, and Melvin Ingram gets to kind of settle in. So if you go out and get Melvin Ingram, he probably doesn't have the same impact on your defensive line. But Trey Hendrickson is blowing up in Cincinnati. He's somebody that you featured several times in your offseason, um, you know, to-do list for the Bills. The Bills needed to find a difference-making pass rusher. They did not do it. And because of that, they're relying on this rotational role. And I just don't know if on either side of the ball that the, the line coaches are getting – the job done. And I think that this brings up a, a larger point. And I think that you have to put this on Sean and Brandon to a degree more, more on Sean, you know, just based on the developmental part, but you know, Brandon beans, giving him the players, Cody Ford inactive today, Zach Moss inactive today, Boogie Basham inactive today. These are high profile day two picks that you can't even get a Jersey on game day. And I get it. It's a week to week league. And Cody Ford didn't make sense with John Feliciano back. He didn't play, but he was in kind of that emergency role. He had a big, long sleeve on his arm and obviously maybe not back to 100% quite yet, but could have gone if he needed to. And I think Ike Bucker has been replacement level, like we've been talking about. But there's serious questions to ask about a few of these guys now at this point. And because and listen, it's it's trending toward you move on from Mario Addison, you move on from Jerry Hughes, and you can kind of make a big splash in free agency or via trade and go after. Maybe you use your first round pick to go and acquire a pass rusher that you think can make a difference and pair with some of the young guys that they have in the system. Now you're going to have a decision on Star Latule who can't seem to get on the field, whether it be COVID related or injury related. This is his second injury, non COVID related, that's kept him out of games this year. So. You know, it's going to cost you five million to move on from him. Do you want to go in a different direction there? I thought they should have taken a big defensive tackle in the draft, Ryan. I thought that there was plenty of guys throughout the draft, different position players that I think could have made a splash and they chose not to do it. And going after Boogie Bash and, and not having a, a role for him on this team in a year as important as, as this. And I'm not sitting here saying that he can't develop into something. He could. 
who have they developed in the de- defensive line? Ed Oliver's flashing. He's having a pretty, really, a really good year, but he's still sitting there at one sack and he's not the game wrecker that I think that they drafted him to be. So I think that there's real, I don't think you could say, sit here and say, Boogie Basham's going to develop. You can't say that because there have been enough examples now of guys not developing. Where's AJ Epinesa? This is year two for him. Is this what we're looking at next year for Boogie Basham? The AJ Epinesa plan where he has one like pressure packed game where he doesn't even sack the quarterback and the rest of the rest of the season, he's kind of invisible. It's not good. And at the point of attack, the value that they put on it in this organization and the, and the lack of development for certain guys, it's troubling. Now, let me say at the same time, and I want you to get in on this point, but let me say at the same time, I got, I want to, the most important spot on the roster. And this is where I think it's a little crazy seeing people text me or DM me about, Oh, McDermott should be on the hot seat and Brandon Bean should be fired. They got the most important position right. This is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. They drafted him when nobody believed in him. When they drafted him, the draft world was killing him. They developed him. That is a major win that that I think they deserve credit for. You have the Dawson Knoxes. You have the Taron Johnsons. You have the Dane Jacksons. You have the Spencer Browns. I know he struggled a little bit recently, but you have a guy that has made a bit of an impact. They have a lot of hits for as many misses as they've had. I think you can argue that they've had more hits. But now it's going to, you're going to get into a situation. Matt Milano, great example, Spin. That's what, you know, we have very educated listeners on this show, Ryan. But you get my point here. Yeah, I 100% get your point. And there is no reason necessarily to believe that the, the development is going to take place with some of these players because we haven't seen it yet. Now, we're not writing off Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, or AJ Epinesa right now, but. There's a lot of reasons uh, to to kind of have a little bit of doubt there. We haven't seen much from AJ Epineza minus that first Dolphins game. Greg Rousseau had a really good splash play in the Chiefs game where he batted the ball and had the interception. He's had a few moments where he's played well against the run, but we haven't seen much there either. These lines have been underwhelming, and you mentioned Cody Ford already in terms of how he's played and. Development across the board is so important when you can go out and draft the guys that you think are going to fit. But if you can't develop them, then, then you going back to, you're going back to the drawing board uh, earlier and earlier and trying to figure out, you know, replacements and how long can you play a player at that point. And that kind of brings me to the next player I wanted to mention, man. That's Tremaine Edmonds. First mm-hmm. round pick linebacker that the Bills coveted in a, in a linebacker class that year that's uh, had some real stars and playmakers and he has not come close to living up to the draft status and he, he's been in this system for quite a few years now he's still over pursuing on the ball he's still finding himself out of place uh, in coverage at times so for every good play it's just like one step forward two steps back it seems like with Edmonds and I mentioned, I said, I just don't see a way that the Bills can kind of break the bank to bring this guy back when his when his rookie contract uh, ends, because there's going to be another team out there that likes the skill set, that likes what they see, that thinks that maybe they can do something different with him that the Bills didn't do. But it's going to cost some money, and I, I just don't see the Bills being able to spend that kind of money on a player who's been so underwhelming, especially in the in the big moments when they've needed him the most. Yeah, and I think the the good news is you have time and you can kind of string it out a little bit. His numbers, it's interesting with middle linebackers because, you know, he could have a pedestrian season and still somehow wind up in the Pro Bowl just because, you know, 
fan voting. I don't feel like linebackers are as sexy as a, you know, a voting category where fans aren't really rifling through it. And when you have a fan base like the Bills who have a lot of people voting on it, uh, it probably helps him. And plus he's respected around the league. I mean, we talked about what, Brent, what Bill Belichick said about him last week. I think people kind of see, you know, some of the highlights and, and, and maybe not focusing in on so much of the lowlights, but the Bills have some time. They have the fifth year option, which, you know, it's pricey, but you get through that year and then you kind of figure it out and maybe you don't give him a full blown extension. Maybe you say like, listen, we, we've spent this time developing you. There's still a lot of things that I think we, we think that you need to work on. Why don't we do like a, a short term deal? And, 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 and listen, that's not in Tremaine Edmonds' best interest. And that'd be a, a tough conversation. But I, I think that you are in a situation that, you know, depending, I can't tell you how many times people say when Tyrell Dotson gets, you know, a, a, a smidge of an opportunity, how many people, you know, clamor to see more of him than uh, Tremaine Edmonds. And I think that that's foolish and I don't agree with it. I think when Tremaine Edmonds is out there, it's a better defense. And I know it's like, that, that last play, it just like I tweeted that he was in coverage. I, he was in coverage because he was the last line of defense. I mean, it wasn't his man, but he was he was trying to be in coverage. And that's what I meant by it. But it wasn't his responsibility. He wasn't on uh, Brashad Perriman as he, uh, you know, skirted around him and got to the outside and got to the end zone. If you remember, Perriman was a burner coming out of school. I mean, hmm. that is not a speed matchup that Tremaine Edmonds is going to win. And when you're on an island like that, it's going to happen. But there was just plays in the game. There was a couple of plays that he made. I remember specifically seeing a couple of plays where he kind of came in and blew up a run play or um, made a tackle and, and just little things. And he does that, but you're right. There's too many times where the the big plays, the big splash plays aren't, aren't happening. And that's going to be something that, you know, the bills have to really consider. Honestly, I mean, that that's the least of their problems. I think at this point, like that's, that's something that looking into the, the off season is going to be a question. They have to get things figured out on their line. There's a ton of questions on this offensive line stemming from as good as Mitch Morris has been in spurts this year, there's been some, some troubling developments of late. I, I don't think he's played particularly well the last couple of games. And I, you oftentimes wonder with a guy that's gone, that's, you know, developed, that's gone through concussion issues. As the season goes along, if he gets another concussion, where are they going to the Bills going to be with him out of the lineup? The interior offensive line play has been suspe- so suspect at times that it, I think that that really worries you. And I thought Daryl Williams in that first half today was was not very good at all. No, the entire offensive line was very bad. Yeah. I mean, Spencer Brown. But I have higher bad. expectations. I have higher expectations for Daryl Williams because right and or wrong, fair. they paid him. Yeah, they, they paid him big money, uh, about $9 million per year on average. And that was, you know, they were expecting to be right tackle at that point in time, too. But you would think that the responsibilities and, and the job would be easier at guard, a, a position that he had played in Carolina. But he's been very up and down in his play. You mentioned Mitch Morris. There's, he's very good in pass protection. He's not that power run blocking guy that you want if that is something that the Bills were serious about, which... Clearly, you know, they weren't. They didn't even give a running back a carry in the first half of today's game. Um, It was only Josh Allen running the ball. So they're realizing a little bit more now who they are, what they can and cannot do. But, yeah, both of the lines are a little bit of a mess right now, Matt, offensive and defensive. And, again, I want to say the Bills right now, and and there's cap gymnastics you can perform, but I want to say they're about like $9 million in cap space going into next year. 
So they're going to have to move some money around. They're going to have to cut some players. They're going to have to do different things to make this work for them to, to make sure that they can add the proper help that they need. They have to be smart in the draft or use those picks wisely uh, in terms of whether they trade a pick here or there for a veteran player. But the expectations that were there for the Bills going into this season, that they have not met them now that they're at seven and six. They put up a really good fight today. They've put up some really good fights in some of these losses, but they're not winning the close ones. Last year, they were finding ways to win the close games more times than not. This year, it's just not happening. And it's putting them in a tough spot where uh, those warts on the offensive and defensive line, those problems, so to speak, really stand out that much more when you're not winning these close games. One thing I got to figure out, so where I want to end this episode is just kind of looking now at the AFC playoff picture. And the Bills currently sit in seventh, according to NFL.com, which is interesting because the tiebreaker is supposed to be head-to-head and then AFC or conference record. And the Bills have uh, a conference record of five and five compared to five and three for the Bengals. So you would think that the Bengals would be ahead of them, four and five for the Browns. Um, and then the Broncos are there too. So we are, you're sitting here talking about five, seven, and six teams, and then the, the Steelers lurking. The one good thing that the Bills have going for them is that a lot of these teams in the AFC North are playing each other, and they're probably going to pick each other off in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think the Cleveland Browns winning today is a really nice development. I don't think they're very good. Depending on what's going on with Lamar Jackson, is there an update on him? Uh, I haven't I haven't seen anything throughout. Not the day. that I saw, but you know, with the Bills game starting at four twenty five, it was kind of hard to see anything. Obviously, getting carted off with an ankle injury is never a good sign. But you're right. I mean, the the Browns almost still found a way to blow that game. They they give up the onside kick. They had an opportunity to blow that game late, and they held on. I don't think they're a very good team. I think they'll fall off in the end. We've seen Las Vegas kind of fall off. Um, there's certain teams that are going to, uh, not be able to kind of keep up in this wild card race. Now, Buffalo, you know, they've been very up and down this season too. There's no reason for us to sit here and say they're going to win out the rest of the season, but talent wise, they have the talent to claim one of these wild card spots. We saw the fight that they put up today. Can they build on that and, and take a, a moral victory? And I hate that term. Uh, because again, there is no such thing as a moral victory in terms of helping you get closer to this playoffs. But can the Bills feel good about how they performed against the defending Super Bowl champions and, and take some of the things that they did today and use it against Carolina and use it against uh, New England in that big pivotal rematch and the Jets and the Falcons before that as well? There, there's still a lot of opportunities for the Bills to kind of right the ship get a little bit of momentum and get right at the right time entering the playoffs. So I'm looking at um, for, for, for remaining schedule, just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, the Titans have a pretty easy schedule. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to be challenged a whole heck of a lot at Pittsburgh. I mean, that's all right. Uh, versus San Francisco versus Miami. And then at Houston, I mean, it's, it's not easy and you know, they're dealing with injuries. So that's something interesting. They could come back down. They had the tiebreaker over the bills. Cleveland is, Versus Las Vegas at Green Bay at Pittsburgh and then versus Cincinnati. Baltimore is uh, versus Green Bay at Cincinnati versus the the Raiders and then versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Colts versus New England, which is a mm-hmm. huge game next week at Arizona, which is a tough game versus Las Vegas and then at at Jacksonville. So you know there's losable games for all of these teams. I think, I think really where this season, you know, really comes down to for the bills now. And, you know, it's not make or break, but if they can run the table here against the Falcons, the, 
the Panthers, the, the Jets, and the and the Patriots, they'll put themselves in a really good chance. And I and I do agree with Josh Allen. They do kind of control their own def, destiny in that sense. Can they win the division? It's going to be tough. Um, I do think that there's a chance that you know the, the the Patriots struggle struggle with the Dolphins, but I think at this point, saying that this Bills team, even with the 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 um, the signs that I think that this that this thing can maybe get start get turned around, especially on offense. It's hard for me to sit here and say that it's the likelihood that they're going to win four in a row here. No, absolutely. We have not seen enough from this team to to believe that right now. Like I said today, very promising game despite the loss. But before this, it was win loss, win loss, win loss. You know, go on going all the way back to that Kansas City game. Now they've dropped two in a row here. Um, it's hard to sit and envision them going 4-0 down the stretch. Do they have the talent to do it? Yes. Are they better than the four teams remaining on the schedule? Yes, including a team that they already lost to once in the Patriots. Sorry, but the, the win obviously factored into that. The, the fact that the you know the Bills kind of didn't play the best way in, in going into that game in the first half. I think they figured out that Josh Allen obviously could throw into that wind. And once they did do that, had they done that sooner, I think that could have had a completely different outcome. But when, when you're playing that game in uh, New England here in a few weeks, I think that you're going to see a much different offense, obviously, and they're going to be able to put more points against that impressive defense. So the talent's there. It's just can they now win these games, win maybe a close game here or there? Maybe I, I think the Patriots game will, will be another close one. But can they take care of business when it matters most? Because if they somehow do not make the playoffs, this is an utter failure of a season. Some Coaches probably have to go, and I'm not saying Sean McDermott or anything like that, or Brian Dable or Leslie Frazier, but some assistants have to go, whether you're you're talking running backs coach, whether you're talking offensive line coach, defensive line coach, someone that McDermott uh, goes way back with to, to the Carolina days. So th- there's going to be some coaches in the hot seat if things don't turn around here very, very soon, and, and kind of rightfully so. You can't go into a season – with Super Bowl aspirations and expectations and fall this far short. It's just, it just kind of tells you that you, you fell that much off the mark in, in one year. So a couple announcements before we get out of here. Don't forget this Friday, Mr. Ryan Talbot is going to be in town in Buffalo. If you're in Western New York, you're going to want to come join us at um, Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. We're going to be doing a live joint podcast with Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. We are going to do state of the team. We're going to get into some uh, some team building, some some big picture stuff. We'll preview the Panthers game. It's going to be an awesome night. We have a couple uh, raffle items that we're going to give away. Uh, Josh Allen jersey and a Trey White Christmas sweater, uh, courtesy of Labatt Blue. They sent one uh, to both Ryan and I. I'm going to give mine away to everybody. I think Ryan's going to wear it. So that should be uh, funny to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of creepy, but whatever. Um, <laughs> no, you fit a, a ugly Christmas sw- sweater. It, it, that's your jam. I want to see you in that at the at the thing. We'll do the live show. We'll hang around. We'll have some drinks. We'll we'll talk. We'll we'll meet all you guys. We want to. We, we we have the best fans in the world. We we love every all of your support. You guys have been great. We wanted to do something to give back. Joe does a great job over on the Lockdown Bills podcast. We actually had a a, a person that lives, listens to both. 
reach out to us and set this up and ask uh, if we if we can do a joint thing. So we're excited about that. Follow me on social media at Matt Perino, Ryan Talbot Bills. We'll have more details about that leading up to the event. And then, of course, as always, if you are hosting a large party next weekend for the game or maybe heading out to the tailgate, check out Topps' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. We will see you this week. Enjoy your week, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.